Welcome to Disruption Blueprint with Shannon Spotswood from RFG Advisory. In this podcast, we help advisors grow their net worth, build their businesses, and maximize their independence. We've built an award-winning platform with innovative technology, comprehensive service, and a team of individuals who are experts in their field to serve advisors. Join us for this journey where we explore everything that has to do with running an independent advisor practice as we bring together successful advisors, industry experts, and innovative minds who are on the bleeding edge to challenge the status quo, foster new ideas, and create a path for advisors to unleash their growth potential. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Disruption Blueprint. We are so fired up about the episode today. Our goal is to help advisors get 1% better and really build the practice of their dreams. And our guest in studio is Greg Menefee from Orion. And we are going to dig into the five dysfunctions of the team. Greg, welcome to Birmingham and welcome to Disruption Blueprint. Hey, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. All right. So this is a classic. I mean, Pat Lencioni is like a god amongst strategy books. The five dysfunctions of a team, I think, was actually one of the first topics that we discussed when we met, you know, years ago in your prior life at TD. And I think five minutes into our conversation, we were like, all right, what's your favorite books? How do you build teams? What is scaling all about? And we both had this as one of our favorite picks. And you've really taken it to the next level. You're here in town in Birmingham to really coach our executive leadership team on a full day offsite to help us get 1% better every day so that we can in turn scale the platform, serve advisors, and really, uh, you know, accomplish what our goal is, which is to become the RA of the future. So thank you for being here. Oh, no, thank you. Anytime I get the opportunity to talk about this book, sign me up. Yeah, no kidding. All right. So it's really fascinating because I noticed throughout 2022, like informal polling, official surveys that were coming out, including the Schwab survey, talent has actually bumped to the number one slot of the biggest, you know, thing, the biggest concern that is worrying advisors. It's now trumping fee compression. It's trumping growth. It's trumping just overall concern about what's happening in the market. And that's saying something in, you know, a tape that was down blended 16%. So we're all thinking about and talking about talent and how to build our teams. And so what I wanted to do is just kind of like dive right in. And financial advisors are great at being financial advisors. And if they have some degree of success, they find themselves in a very uncomfortable, you know, seat, which is as a manager and as a leader. And it's not necessarily their, you know, learned superpower. It's something, I guess I would say it's not their superpower. It's something that really has to be learned. So, you know, I'm going to read a quote to get us started on the book. And it is, I love this one. It's, it's actually at the very end. So you kind of have to get, you know, all the way through. I think it's on the last page of the book. And it says, genuine teamwork in most organizations remains elusive. Organizations fail to achieve teamwork because they unknowingly fall prey to the five dysfunctions. Sure. I mean, drop the mic. No one wants to admit it. So let's just tee it up. You're an expert in the subject matter. 
What are the five dysfunctions of a team? Sure. So, um, and there's a couple of things there that I, I want to make sure I touch on. Before I jump into the, the actual dysfunctions, you know, you've said something there that I'm a big believer in. There's a difference between leaders and managers. Leaders have to manage, but managers typically just manage. And when it comes to building teams and seeing them flourish, you need leaders in leadership roles. And the RA space is largely dominated by a bunch of entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs that got into the business um, one way or the other, but maybe leadership when they were an individual contributor, right? It wasn't something that was just natural to them. And so for a lot of them, it, it's kind of finding that stride and learning. And this book, as you mentioned, is by far my favorite book in the leadership realm. You know what's so interesting about leadership? I mean, you're kind of coached up through your educational career that people are, he's a natural leader. She's a natural leader. And I found as I'm, you know, kind of sitting at the almost 30 year mark in financial services, that leadership is very much a learned skill. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you, of course, charisma, I think is confused with leadership, but leadership is a learned skill. Well, sure. And there's a lot of leaders or people in leadership roles with a lot of charisma that fall prey to quite a few of these dysfunctions. And so just kind of diving into the dysfunctions themselves in the pyramid, the base of this pyramid would be the absence of trust. And if you don't have trust, you're not going to get into conflict. And if you don't have conflict during team meetings, especially at the highest level in the organization, you're never going to get to the root of what it is that you're trying to accomplish. You know, whether it's an issue you're taking care of or an opportunity you're trying to explore. And if you don't have that conflict, like the passionate debate about whatever the topic might be, then there's going to be a lack of commitment. So that's the third rung on the pyramid, yeah. right? And so if we're not going to commit, you know, there was no opportunity for me to talk about my point of view and I'm not really sure that I'm on board with this. And so I'm going to halfway commit. I might nod my head and say, sure, because the CEO said we should be doing this, but I'm not fully committed. And if I'm not fully committed, then there's going to be an avoidance of accountability. So it's not really on me, like if right. this thing doesn't work out. Because I wasn't really bought in. Right. Yeah. And so if I don't have that accountability, then there's an inattention to results. And, the, and there's a byproduct of each one of these, right? So if you have an absence of trust, that trust that's generally born from invulnerability, people have to be vulnerable with each other in order to build that trust. And if you don't have that conflict, it creates this artificial harmony. And I see, have seen yeah. this through my career run rampant in organizations. Anytime you hear a, a, an organization or a, con, a company say, we've got an incredible culture, <laughs> that is a red flag for me to just, it, you know, the, just the, the antenna goes up, the radar goes on to, to be looking for, do you have an incredible culture or do you have artificial harmony where everybody's just pretending that you've got an incredible culture in the organization. So then that lack of commitment creates ambiguity, the avoidance of accountability, low standards, and then that feeds that inattention to results, which ultimately will turn into, it's all about status and ego. And so at that point in time, this is when in, in people's careers, they identify an individual in the organization that, that it becomes about them. Right. It's just I versus I, team. Right. I was interviewing with an organization one time. I went through eight different interviews. It was after the second interview that I was like, there's no way this company's going to hire me. I'm just <laughs> culturally not a fit. Like everything we're talking about here today is not what they're all about. And I remember I was doing some due diligence and I went through 18 different LinkedIn profiles of individuals that worked at this organization. And they all read like a baseball card. It was like, yeah. it was, it was, here's my, my accomplishments. Stats. Yeah. yeah. It was, here are all of my stats. Yeah. And so in, in hopes of, I'm guessing that that next employer sees that and says, this is somebody we want to, to have join our team. 
that's not about your client. That's not about the team. It's not about the organization. It's all about you. And that probably is a byproduct of all of these other things going wrong at some point in time. I have argued over the course, you know, really since the pandemic, this became very clear to me that it's never been harder to be a leader than it is right now. And I'm not like, oh, poor you. It's so hard to be a leader. Like, I'm not saying it like that. I'm just saying there is a higher standard that is now not only expected, but required in order to build a high performing organization to deliver on your mission, vision, values. I think, and I'm of the belief, like rightfully so, your team member is, you know, your team members are looking around and no longer saying like, it's all top down. I'm not a stakeholder in this, you know, this experience and this relationship that we have. And so there's been what I think was a very necessary realignment around equilibrium. Mm -hmm. And as a result, it's required leaders to be more intentional and thoughtful about how they're building their teams, the cadence of communication, the articulation and agreement around mission, vision, values. And when you read this book, it is just like your mind is blown because there's so much clarity in the simplicity of it. Sure. And as you stepped through each of those trust, conflict, commitment, accountability results, it's like, duh, of course that is. So in your experience, is it possible to rank which of these dysfunctions you see most commonly or maybe said differently, what's the most, you know, basic dysfunction that is almost always in existence in an organization? Well, if you think about the different dysfunctions, there's a couple of them that are going to stand out because it becomes personal. The fear of conflict, you know, the artificial harmony is the byproduct of that. I don't want to get into conflict with Shannon for fear of I'm not a team player. I've got sharp elbows, whatever the case may be, or it might impact my career. And that's because maybe Shannon has been vulnerable with me over time. So I don't have that trust. Right. But you're going to find people that in different levels of the organization, if you don't demonstrate vulnerability with them, they're definitely not going to do it in the opposite direction. So that actually, however, is not what I think is the most common, but it's the fuel for it. Yeah. The avoidance of accountability is the one that you're going to find that's most frequent because it's talking about not me holding myself accountable. It's talking about me holding you accountable. Right. And so if, if, you know, we're on a, a C-suite team an executive team, if we have a common goal that we've all committed to and you are falling short on something, I'm probably, am not going to call you out in most organizations right in really high performing organizations, I'm going to, but it's not going to be punitive. It's not right. like, right. It's like, how can I help Shannon? We, we've, we've missed these numbers. This is falling behind what's going on. Are there resources that maybe you could utilize for my group? You know, I remember one time, uh, our good friend, Pete Dorsey, right. He, yeah. I was supposed to have an open requisition backfilled. They came to me and said, you know, Hey, we'd really like to use that rec in this other part of the organization. You'll yeah. get it back at some point in time. Now, you know, I knew in the back of my mind that sometime is probably years down right. the road, right? You just, you know, whenever you, you horse trade like that, it's not going to work out yep. probably the way that you think. But I remember thinking to myself, this is the right thing to do. This for the organization, right, for the team. For, right. This gentleman, this other part of the organization, uh, who you also know is, is basically a one man show right now. He could use that. And so gladly I said, take it, yeah. we'll figure it out on our side. And, and that is, that's kind of that one, that, that 
believing in the, uh, you know, what is our vision mission? What is the, the results that we're trying to achieve collectively as an organization? Am I willing to make a sacrifice? And, you know, I don't know that Pete had to go out and call out this person, like you're falling behind. Right. But it all kind of marries together. And, and, you know, it, nobody wants to see real estate go away. You know, right. typically I don't care. I really yeah. don't. Right. If it, if it, if it comes down to, it's going to help us accomplish what we're trying to accomplish that I'm fine with it. And, and this comes back to something that you said, you know, you said vision, mission, and that is so critically important and so missing in yeah. most organizations. And most of them would tell you, we have a vision, we have a mission, right? We've got core values. And if I walk around and ask anybody in the organization, what are they? They're going to look at me with deer headlights, yeah. right? Deer in the headlights. I don't, you know, I'm not quite sure. And so that's another book for the listeners out there. <laughs> you know, the five dysfunctional team is incredible. There's another book that he wrote that was called The Three Signs of a Miserable Job. <laughs> they, um, they renamed the book, and I confirmed this with a friend that works at the table group. Whenever I would take this book to work, I would make sure it was upside down on my right. desk so my boss wouldn't right. see it, right? Uh, they've renamed that book. But anyways, Google can help you figure out what the name of it is. But anyways, that book talks about- That'll be our about, second podcast. There you go. Ooh, maybe we it. do a podcast of our Let's five favorite books. And then we'll move on to the motive. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Yeah. So- um, in that book, it talks about irrelevance, anonymity, and immeasurement. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I won't get too, too, dive too deep into all of that. But essentially what that's all kind of boiling up to is nobody knows what's most important. It's interesting that you started with conflict because, you know, we hadn't talked about this ahead of time. And I was really curious to hear what your answer was going to be. Because I was thinking, okay, fear of conflict is the one that if you asked me cold, like what is the most common dysfunction in an organization? But as you talked it through that, you know, avoidance of accountability made so much sense because that is baseline dysfunction. It's not my fault. I'm doing my job. Like that is baseline human behavior. Um, and in some way is almost taught, you know, throughout the educational uh, journey that we've all, we've all been on. So let's, you know, I, I, I always say, that, you know, and this is, I think, true of most advisors. Like I was raised by wolves on Wall Street. Like I started my career, you know, I worked at two hedge funds and an investment bank. Like we're not interested in, you know, leadership and sure. EQ and all these things. It's just like, how much alpha did you generate? Did you close the deal? So what, you know, we've, we've moved beyond that. We've established that these are learned skills. You know, these are very basic as you, and the book is so helpful in, in, in helping you understand each of those dysfunctions. But where does a leader start? So an advisor listening to this, who's like, oh my gosh, I've said these words. I have incredible culture. I really can't put my hand, you know, on my heart and swear that everyone in my team will be aligned when asked the question, what's your mission, vision, values? Mm -hmm. What are the attributes of success of this organization? So if you really are looking in the mirror and you're honest, odds are those aren't in place. So where do they start? Where do you start as a leader when you're like, yep, there's dysfunction on my team? Or in my firm? I mean, the two impact each other, uh, but, but they are different. So, you know, having a vision, having a mission for your organization, and then wanting to run a highly functional team, right? It's, you know, you yeah. need them both. Yeah. Uh, but actually, now that I think about it, you don't. There's a, uh, there in, so caveat here. So don't stop listening, folks. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of highly profitable organizations, as you just described, right. that are extremely dysfunctional. Right. And, uh, you know, their shareholders, they don't know the difference. And they're like, great, the stock keeps going up. This comes back to servant leadership and just, do you care? 
Right. And if you don't, then, and you're profitable, then I, you know, I guess for the, the stakeholders, maybe that works for you, but it doesn't for everybody else in your organization. And you just might not know that yet. And ultimately you make such a good point here. Ultimately that undercuts the whole point of being an advisor. Every advisor you talk to, the first thing that they will tell you, like, why'd you get into this business? The answer to that question is, yeah. I have a call to serve. Yeah, yeah. Serve so who? really. Serve your clients that are paying you or serve the people that you're paying, right? right? And it needs to be both. And the, and the beauty of the whole thing is, you know, we talk about client experience a lot. You know, that's, I'm fanatical about CX. You can't accomplish that the way that you need to. You can't be competitive with client experience if you don't have a world-class team member experience. Right. And if people are afraid of you or they're not willing to, you know, do all of these different things we're talking about here, there's not that kind of conflict, why not? If it's walking on eggshells, you're never going to get where you need to go. And and this comes back to something else you were talking about. There's there's a, a phrase that I came up with early in my career. I call it free agent hiring. And um, I, I, as a leader, I was introduced to this book like months after becoming, a, uh, I'll, I'll say a manager, right? I hadn't yeah. earned my leadership stripes yet. And I remember thinking about, you know, as we build out this team, what's most important to me is that we look at someone's heart and we select people to join a team versus hire people to do a job. And this gets back to what I was talking about with that organization I was interviewing with. I was like, there's no way they're going to hire me. I'm looking at all the credentials, of the people that are on here. It's all about them. It's all about, you know, what's that nice next shiny free agent out there that we can pull into the organization. Right. But we all know that there's certain free agents that you bring into the locker room and they wreck the whole thing. Right. right? Yep. And so this comes back for me to, if you know what's most important in the organization, here's what our mission, our vision is, maybe, you know, our purpose statement and we want to select individuals to join the team that are in alignment with that. And so if you change the word hire with the word select, yeah. you will ask different questions during the interviewing process. You will look for different things in individuals. And, and, and I think it, it all ends up being married together. But if you don't have the right people on the ship, it's never going to quite get where you want to go. It, it's, you know, carrot and a stick might yeah. help. But, but it won't if, get there. Yeah. Okay, so digging in like very actionable an advisor listening to this, like, what do they do? They've recognized their dysfunction on their team. Do they start with, you know, can I even articulate as the leader of the organization, the, you know, the founder, the CEO, whatever the, the title may be, what the mission, vision, values are. And then as, you know, I always say step one is mission, vision, values. Step two is, to your point, define the roles and responsibilities without names attached. Sure not the people. And so is that really, if you've, if you've kind of had this epiphany, like, you know what, my team is dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you do? What's the first step you take? Well, the, we need three or four more hours to, to get all into to that. Step one, you might be read this book. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, you, 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 you're not exposed to this in college, right? right? You right. go to graduate school, nobody's talking to you about these particular things. This book is written as a fable. It's the easiest book in the world to read. Yeah. Uh, it, it take, you know, a few hours and you're done basically, right? But it's so simple to figure yeah. out, but it's a guide, right? It creates kind of a guide for you to operate within. So I, I would say, you know, if you're a leader of people and you haven't read this book, I highly recommend reading the book. Now, as far as the, the vision, mission, values, every organization needs this. People need to know where we're going. Right. Right. What's it's, our, what's our purpose? Yeah. Why, what is it? Why? That, why, why do I come to work today? Right. What is in, and how is my role connected, right? To, to the whole thing. So Orion's vision might be to power the advisor client journey. 
awesome. I need to figure out as a leader inside of Orion, how can my team align with that? Yeah. And so that doesn't necessarily mean that Orion's vision becomes a vision of my team. So mine is to consistently elevate the industry standard. The way I've, I've explained this to my team is all of our clients have relationships with a whole bunch of different vendors. They're custodian, potentially other technology vendors, asset managers, et cetera. I want them to look at you at place number one. Like, so Ellen, in your case, right? When you just, you just think it's different. There's something right. about working with Ellen that is different. She's at number one. There's a number two spot. All right. So how do we do things that are in alignment with that vision? So we need a mission for our team and the mission for my team and Joel Liebold's team and Randy's team, they can be different right? because we do different things within the organization. And so ours is we got to help every client to maximize their Orion experience. Yeah. And so that, and then, you know, I, so I want to take that to advisors because yeah. I think that, you know, most advisors aren't leading teams where you've got, you know, multiple functional teams. It's really one team serving the clients. But I think that what you just said speaks to that. You know, if the mission is to elevate that client experience, mm -hmm. how are the financial planners on the team, the relationship managers on the team, the client experience coordinator on the team, marketing on the team, technology, you know, all of those really getting in. And what does it mean to them on a very personal level day to day? Sure. Well, I mean, those are all different groups. Yeah. They're not as big and it might be one person, right? Right. But at the end of the day, they have different functions within the organization. And so, you know, as a leader, you can help them identify, all right, let me connect the dots. If this is what's most important in the organization up here, and here's your role, here's how your role influences that. And, you know, it's like client experience. I talked to the, the organization about this. I talked to advisory firms about this. There's a journey, right? There's that, that, you know, universal prospect onboarding and ongoing. The client is, is experiencing RFG right. through all of these different phases of the client journey. And when you look at those phases and you break them down, you will identify that there's all these different people that are touching it, right? So, so we all play a, a role in that. Well, how does that role all ultimately, you know, reach what we're all trying to accomplish? And leaders make those connections, right? Right. It's not just you have a job to do, here's your mandate, get after it, right? And then you're motivating them through money or through the stick. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, it's, folks, we're all here trying to accomplish right. this. And here's how we're going to do it. And let's, let's, let's debate it. You know, I've had instances, um, I mean, you know, Janelle over at, at, um, at Schwab, she used to run technology consulting for me, right? Janelle felt comfortable to look me in the eyes and say, I don't agree with that. Right. Right. And awesome. That's just like... It. That's like the best day in the office yeah, ever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, so what I want to touch on next, because I, something that I think is really true, I always say there's a 24 hour expiration clock on positivity and motivation. Mm -hmm. It is a wake up gratitude practice, set your mindset on, you know, positivity, abundance, you know, all of these things, they expire in 24 hours. And I feel a little bit the same way about creating and sustaining a high performing team. This is not a one and done exercise to mm -hmm. your point. You know, you don't just read the book, figure it out, mission, vision, values. All right. Everybody knows what they're doing. Train is rolling down the tracks. We're good. Right. Bobby White, you know, CEO, founder of RFG has a saying that he says to me all the time and I love it. It's communicate, communicate, recommunicate. So let's talk about this. You've done the hard work as an advisor. You've coached your team. You've got the right people in the right seats. How do you really ensure that your culture remains high functioning? Sure. Well, two things um, real quick. So a high performing culture 
and a culture that people enjoy and love working in can be two different things. Right. Not in my book, but right. so, hypothetically. But, but getting back to the organizations that produce a lot of revenue, right? right. And, and their stock continues to go up, but they're toxic places to work in, right? One can look at that and say, well, that's a high-performing culture. Right. But creating that sort of culture that people want to be a part of, yes, you're right. You know, you Maybe we call it an opt-in culture. There you go. I like that. Yeah. Opt-in culture. You... Um, you have to be broken record about this. Yeah. I've worked for a lot of different leaders over the course of my career where you realize, oh, they read a book. And in your mind, you go, this will be gone in three months. Right. Three to six months, it's over, right? You have to be a broken record about this stuff. If you ask anybody in, in the organization that I serve today and the ones that I did in previous roles, you know, did Greg ever stop talking <laughs> about this stuff? They're going to say no. no. Like weekly, daily, I'm bringing it up. Yeah. And you have to, right? You have to be very intentional about making sure that people understand this is not going away. And I think one of the things that's also really important is recognizing it when you see it publicly. Right. So if you're on a team call and somebody's vulnerable, I have stopped a team call to go, I just want to point out that that individual, you know, Trisha was vulnerable on this call today. She didn't have to be. That's yeah. what the five dysfunctions look like. And I appreciate the fact that she did that. And when somebody comes to me and feels like they're confident enough to go, hey, Greg, I messed this up. I'm like, sweet. That is yeah. fantastic. Yeah. I love that you felt like you could come and bring that yeah. to me. Let's talk about it. And then we yeah. work our way through it. And, uh, it's you know, the we move it is the it. best. It is yeah. literally the best when you get those. I mean, you never want problems in your organization, but it's the best when your team is proactively sure. feeling that safety net that they can they can express those frustrations, those mistakes. Like that is you know that is the sign. Shannon, one more point on this. It also it also requires a certain degree of emotional intelligence, right? And and you know everybody who knows you knows that that you know you walk in the room it gets brighter. And there are a lot of people that got into this business whose Myers-Briggs or disc profile are not in alignment with being an extrovert, right? And, and, leader, and then they found themselves through, through success thrust into a leadership role where they're having to lead people. And, and I remember, you know, leaders also have to have a, a certain degree of, of emotional intelligence around these topics. When you think about the, the types of Myers-Briggs and disc profiles that you find across the RIA space, a lot of them aren't big extroverts like you, right? You know, yeah. the, that person just walks in, you know, big personality, room gets brighter, people like being around them, right? Some of them are just very analytical people and they're very good at that. But leading requires you to step yeah. out of that comfort zone, right? And, and that, I think that's why you see some firms where, some, where the principal eventually gets to the point where they're like, I need somebody else to do right. this. Right. I'm good at these things. Right. I'm going to hire somebody else that's going to come in yeah. and be able to be that sort of a leader for our organization. I mean, Greg, we tried to keep this to 30 minutes, but literally you and I could go on talking about this literally for the next three hours. And I love the idea of having a book club and really helping to coach leadership and emotional intelligence and really the, per, you know, I would call it the personal and professional development journey you and I have both been on individually. But I want to end today with another great quote from the book, which is great teams do not hold back from one another. So with that as our mic drop, Look in the mirror and ask yourself the question, like, am I holding back? Because it really does ultimately start with the leader being willing to be vulnerable. Sure. Well, that quote reminds me of, of the, the part of the book that's really talking about the avoidance of accountability, right? And, and I think that it's so much easier to just kick those cans down the road. Yeah right? Instead of addressing them, you know, right on the spot and dysfunction, the, the most 
functional teams, like the best teams, they've got dysfunction. Right. All of them do. Right. Like my team is going to continue right. to experience every one of these. The trick is the book gives you a litmus test, right? It, it, you're ra- you now have a radar that's just right. running all the time and you spot it really fast. Yep. The trick is what do you do about it? Yep. Right. And so do you at the moment, you know, address, Hey, that's one of you know, this is a dysfunction that we're talking about here that, that I'm recognizing and we need to address it, talk about it and get past it as fast as we can because they build momentum. Yeah. Right. And and then it starts to impact not just one person on the team, three but people. Every, yeah. And then it bleeds outside of that team yep. into other parts of the organization. And now so. that becomes your culture. Yes. All right. So part two of five dysfunctions of a team, I think we smashed together traction scorecard with the scorecard idea in five dysfunctions of the team. We bring two books together. We'll, we'll do it as a little bit of a cliffhanger to talk about how to build measurement scorecards to really drive, you know, what was your word? Not high performing. I use high performing. What's your word? Cause high performing teams aren't necessarily, it's not necessarily just a good culture, yeah. right? One that people want to work in. Yeah. You, you said it opt in sort of opt in culture. Yeah. Love being with you. Thanks yeah. for being here. You got it. All right. Thank you for listening to the disruption blueprint podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.rfgadvisory.com or schedule a call on our advisor resources page. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Content here is for illustrative purposes and general information only. It is not legal, tax, or individualized financial advice nor is it a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any specific security or engage in any specific training strategy. Information here may be provided in part by third-party sources. These sources are generally deemed to be reliable. However, neither our guest nor RFG advisory guarantee the accuracy of third-party sources. The views expressed here are those of our guest. They do not necessarily represent those of RFG advisory, its employees, or its clients. This commentary should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by RFG Advisory or performance returns of any client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. Securities offered by registered representatives of private client services, member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered by investment advisory representatives of RFG Advisory, LLC, RFG Advisory or RFG, a registered investment advisor. Private client services and RFG advisory are unaffiliated entities. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where RFG advisory and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advisory services may be rendered by RFG advisory unless a client agreement is in place. RFG advisory is an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of RFG by the Commission nor does it indicate that RFG or any associated investment advisory representative has attained a particular level of skill or ability.